Listen up, Fins fans. You are now tuned in to All in All Fins, the Ultimate Fans Perspective Podcast, brought to you by your host, Nick Emperado. You know what it is, man. All right, so joining us on the pro- podcast, we got Brian Byrne. I'm sure you follow him on Twitter. He's got a good good amount of followers on Twitter, and he always he does something pretty cool that we'll get into in a few minutes. But Brian, I just want to bring you on and um, ask you know see how you're doing. I appreciate you coming on, and you know tell me a little bit about your Dolphins background, like how you became a fan, um, favorite players, you know best memories, stuff like that. Great, yeah, thanks. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I've been a Dolphin fan since I was six years old. My uh, my first football game I ever watched was the 49ers Super Bowl. And uh, everyone in my house was just going for the 49ers. I've always been a contrarian. So uh, when I picked a team, I picked the Dolphins. And, you know, obviously that didn't go well. But um, I just fell in love and, you know, got really into it the next, the next few years. And um, obviously Dan Marino was was the hero back then so he got me hooked and uh i've just been a fanatic ever since yeah you were lucky to be able to see him play because he he you know he i'm 25 so he right you know when i started understanding football is when he um got out and then um but luckily you know there's highlights and stuff like that so i've seen plenty Um, but my dad he grew up in fort lauderdale so that's how i became you know we're both up here in, in new york so that's how I became a Dolphins fan. So. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, who's your? Uh, who, who's I, Dan you guys fans? have so I have I have so much respect for the fans that came in after the Marino era because you got I mean it's been a it's been a tough go since <laughs> two thousand two two thousand three. Oh yeah, it has it has been like um you know one in fifteen and then Wildcat season where they made the playoffs and then. You know, Adam Gay starting out one and four, and you know, luckily that schedule may help them get get to the playoffs that year too. So, I've seen some cool stuff, but nothing like nothing like what everybody else got to experience. Yeah, this is the time though. You'll get it now. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I, that's a good way to transition. Uh, how do you how do you feel about the future? Like, what do you think? What do you what's your predictions for the future? I think I'm. You know, since probably since the Marino era. Um, you know, I got really excited about the team in 95, you know, it's sad to see Shula go, but Jimmy Johnson definitely brought in a new energy and we thought that like it might lead to something great. You know, that was probably the last time that I've had this much hope for this team. Um, you know, with, with, I think we have it and we have a lot of the bases covered. I think we have a really good head coach. Um, we obviously just got the quarterback of the future in Tua, which I'm really excited about. He brings you know, a mentality and a star power that we haven't had in a while. And uh, just a lot of confidence of how they they built the team, um, you know, in this in this, this offseason. Um, it's been really good. So, yeah, I, I've never been – I can't remember being this excited about being a Dolphins fan. Um, 2017, we had some hope after Gase's first season and we made the playoffs, but – you know, that was quickly extinguished by, like, a disaster offseason with Ryan going down and then our offensive line coach is doing cocaine and then Lawrence Timmons doesn't show up to a the game one, you know, so that, that enthusiasm and excitement and hope went away quick. So, yeah, this is definitely the most excited I've been. Uh, I think we have a bright future now. 
That's funny that Lawrence Timmons saying that. That seems to always slip my mind because there was so much other stuff going on. Just basic drama between Gase and the players. I mean, and he couldn't have picked any other oh, the worst players to have drama with. You know, Jay Ajayi just came off a monster season. Um, and, you know, Jarvis Landry was our basically the face of our franchise at the time. So he, he, he couldn't have picked worse players to have beef with. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a disaster. The 2017, we, and you forget about, like, Ray Maluga being signed and, yep. like, I think he got arrested in Miami and, like, game eight. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, everyone, and I didn't, Mike Tannenbaum was always, during that era, it just, you know, it was like, oh, you know, we made the playoffs, but Tannenbaum's still in charge. And so I didn't have, a, you know, too much faith. But, I mean, it, he any, everything that could have went wrong in 2017 did. <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but um, I'll I'll just I'll I'll clean that up. But um, did did he headbutt? Uh, sorry, going back to Ray Maluga. Did did he headbutt a uh, a cop or is is that what happened? I don't. Re- I I remember it was definitely a fight at like a nightclub in Miami. Uh, I'm on my computer, so I could Google that very quick. <laughs> I you know I don't remember the details, but. You know, he wasn't a huge star or anything, but it was just everybody they brought in that that year was, um, was just a disaster. From you know, even like the guys that didn't headbutt cops or whatever, they they brought in like offensive tackles to play guards and strong safeties to play free safeties. You just kind of knew that it wasn't really going anywhere, right? Uh-huh. So what? While you're looking that up, was two of your guy was was he? Yes. Was he who you wanted the Dolphins to draft? Yeah, definitely. I I hate Alabama from, you know, Nick Saban. I still haven't forgiven him. Um, but, you know, I, I was watched the, the national title game when, when Tua came in in the halftime and brought him back to, to the win. And, you know, like, it was hard not to be impressed. And then, like, through 2018 um, – I just kind of fell in love with them. It was just kind of really hopeful, like back then, that Miami would be in a position to draft them. Uh, and then when it when it became a reality last year, I got definitely excited. Uh, and he, you know, going into the the offseason, he was my guy. I got a little scared sometimes with all the contra- contradicting reports of Herbert Love trading up for Burrow. But um, yeah, I was quite excited when we we landed to a. Yeah, I was. I was too. I I also was. Like very, like wishy washy based on just everybody's different opinions, you know. But um, in the end, like to have basically had my heart, so I'm excited. And and he brings more than just like a good football player, you know. He'll be he'll be a really good face of the franchise, which you is what you need honestly to get primetime games and you know have national media coverage. So it's yeah, Daddy, it's already it's already started. He's he's leading the NFL in. In jersey sales, you know, I can't even. I think Jarvis Landry was like in the top forty for us a couple of years ago. You know, I haven't noticed anybody as a Dolphin, you you know, like garnering that much fame and respect. But yeah, I agree. I mean, way more than just a football player. You know, to like, I think it started in his first game to be eighteen years old and walk into a huddle at half after halftime, losing in a national championship game and being able to. To command a huddle and rally the guys, and you know, he just everyone that's ever even looked at Tua, you know, says leader before they really even talk about his football skills. So, 
I, yeah. I think that's gonna, you know, I think that's what Ryan Tannehill was always missing. I think that's just gonna be a, a great addition. Yeah, and and I think like as long as he can, he can figure because Ryan Tannehill did have one issue that Tua has, and and that's like the, um, but it's a little bit different. Tua tries to extend the plays and make the most out of it, and 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 Ryan would just freeze if the if the play broke down and he would get sacked or you know whatever. So, um, I hope that Tua can figure out how to you know cut his losses and and throw the ball away so he can stay on the field. Yeah, that's going to be key. <laughs> that's what Nick Nick Saban, you know, said is going to be his his biggest hurdle to overcome in the NFL is to let those plays go and not take the hit. I agree, and but I think that luckily, you know, going into the season, um, you know, he's there's no pressure for him to get on the field. You know what I mean? Because again, we're coming off a season that we were supposed to be the worst team in NFL history. So um, there's no, and and honestly, Fitzpatrick, I'd be happy to see him lead this team to the playoffs. So I have no, I have no like, even though I want to see Tua play, I I feel like there's no rush to get him on the field. They if they can get this running game down and get this offensive line that could have, you know, three, four new starters, possibly even five, and um, get them, you know, gelling good. And if he needs to come in after the bye week or something, or, you know, if if all things are going well and Fitzpatrick's bring, bringing us to the playoffs and he doesn't have to play, that's just a, another full year of him getting healthy and getting ready for the, you know, his, his time to be the star. So Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with the, – the biggest thing for me, I mean, is the offensive line to, I mean, we're going to have at least four new starters on the offensive line. If Jesse Davis can win its job, if he doesn't, then we'll have five new starters on the offensive line. Um, you know, even take away Tua's injury history. The the biggest thing of any rookie quarterback is it takes longer to process the speed of the game and, and the different defensive looks that they're seeing. So, you know, until that offensive line gels, I really, I think it would be unnecessary. But, yeah, I'm with you. Like, if he plays this season at some point, maybe a little later, that'd be awesome. But it, I would just be just as excited to see Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, do what Alex Smith did in when they draft him at Holmes and just lead him to a playoff spot, a 10-6 and six record, maybe get to his feet wet at the very end of the year in a meaningless game and, you know, come back next year and really have him ready. Yeah, I, I thought about that until they saw the schedule, and then I don't know if January whatever in Buffalo is, is the perfect time to put two in the game, but we'll see. Um, but the only thing I think about is um, if we do trade Rosen, I'm curious what happens if in the second or third week, you know, uh, Fitzpatrick were to go down with a, a injury. Like, do you, br- you, you don't bring in Jake Rudock off the practice squad, you know, so – that that would be interesting if they do end up getting rid of Rosen, which would be a reason he would stay around for another year. Yeah, I, I think Adam Beasley had a really good point um, yesterday on Channing and Crowder. He was talking about with the with the COVID, you know, like that could be such a, a problem for quarterbacks because, you know, people could be asymptomatic all year and have to take the, or all week and have to take the test on Friday or Saturday to get ready for the game. And if they come up, positive you know like you're starting quarterbacks out so he was saying how a lot of teams may carry three quarterbacks um which i could definitely see happening with rosen's i mean he has a great salary for us for the next couple years um i don't think his i think his trade value is at an all-time low i really couldn't imagine them 
unless he excels in the preseason and other teams, you know, have problems. Uh, I could definitely see him riding. We riding this year with three quarterbacks and giving Rosen the opportunity to be this, the backup next year. It looks like the Jets might even have four. They just signed Joe Flacco yesterday. They got Darnold, Flacco, James Morgan, and David Fales, I'm pretty sure, signed a, a contract. So they're going to have four quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, Adam Gase is always going to Adam Gase. He did that He did that in Miami, too. We had – what did we have? We had Brian Brock, Fales. We had – it wasn't Rudolph, right, when he picked him up. We were – for most of for the end of the season, we had four active quarterbacks, or yeah, four quarterbacks on the fifty-three. Was it Rudolph? It might have been Rudolph. It might have been someone else though, too. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, you're probably you're probably right, but um, yeah, I mean, he's always like you said, he's just gonna gaze, and that's what he's gonna do. I think that's I think it's a funny way to approach a team because um, nowadays, I mean, he you get two extra active roster roster spots, and he's gonna fill it up with quarterbacks, so that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> He's just gonna Adam Gase. <laughs> so, how did you feel about the draft? Who'd you like? Who'd you? Who did you not like? When, um, as far as draft selections go, um, yeah, I love. I'm like, there's a guy on your on your podcast last week that you know he hated all of our picks and he said that that wasn't the player he'd taken. And I'm not that guy. Uh, I don't pretend to to be a scout in my spare time, um, but. What I did love about the draft is I love that there was a vision, you know, they, because we haven't seen that before in the past few years with Miami, they knew going in that they were going to get their quarterback and then build up the trenches. And, um, you know, I, I would concede to the Dolphins scouts that they know what they're doing, but they, they got their guys. They got, you know, the first two rounds, they got their quarterback to both tackle spots. They got a run stuffing DT, um, you know, I, I really loved it. I really, I think Raekwon Davis, I think people slept on him. Um, watching a lot of Tua's games and seeing him just being able to flash, um, I think he could be, you know, at the worst-case scenario, he's just a two-down run stuffer, but I think he might be more than that. Um, I love both tackle picks. Um, I, I wasn't in love with the Noah pick at the end of the first round when he was made, but, you know, I didn't know too much about him, and now watching – a lot of his tape and, you know, hearing everything we've heard about him since, it seems like a really good pick. It's – I also like – all the guys they picked are, like, unbelievable, like, humans, it sounds like. Like, Austin Jackson – High character. Yeah, like, Austin Jackson saving his sister's life. Um, I just watched a thing on the safety, Brandon Jones, where he, um, you know, he's been by the kid of – University of Texas fan, a younger kid, got cancer, and he's been, like, supporting him and by his bedside this whole time and helped him through his fight through cancer. Just we we got really good guys. Uh, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, obviously, I I wasn't great, too excited about the long snapper um, in the sixth round. But, you know, overall, I think they had a plan. I think they stuck with it. They didn't get distracted by, like, flashy players like C.D. Lamb um, and C.D. J.K. Dobbins in the second round. Um, they they knew they had a, to win football games. You have to build the trenches, and they stuck with that. So, you know, I couldn't be more excited about it. Yeah. You know, I, it, in okay. five years from now, if we look back and we got our quarterback and our starting left and right tackle, that alone would make this an A-plus draft. Yeah, and I think it took a few <laughs> – even I think it's been, you know, a month, a month since the draft. We'll say, 
And it took a while for me to really understand, I think, what they want to do. And, and it's pretty obvious. Um, they knew that the weak point of the team was not only um, the offensive line, but the defensive line as well. They decided that for them, it's more important it's more important to have coverage sacks than it is to have, um, like, we'll say Cameron Wake just totally blowing somebody off the line or speed rushing around the edge and, and getting to the quarterback. So um, it makes sense once you look at it that way that they're gonna they're gonna look towards, um, you know having a lockdown secondary which is going to like evolve the game of the linebackers and the the D-line um and then they continued you know I I think it will really be a home run pick if if Robert Hunt does play right tackle for us so um but either way I'm excited about what he brings but you know they did take Solomon kindly but one thing that I I thought I think that I would really be happy with this if we could get um, Larry Warford on a year or two year deal for, you know, like 10 to 12 million. You know, I think he, that's what he wants is 12 million a year because he would instantly be the best lineman on the team. And if, if he comes in and plays right guard, having him next to somebody like Robert Hunt would be huge for his development. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'd have Flowers at next to Jackson and, and him at next to to hunt, to help them along, you know, like I think when Tunsil played guard his first year, he kept saying how having Albert next to him, you know, all season just helped his development so much. So I, I agree with you. I would, I would love that signing. Um, and I think like, you know, how they, how they built the secondary. If you look at the Patriots blueprint, what they've always done is exactly what we did this year. And obviously he's, Flores is not Belichick, but, it's that same style, right? You get two lockdown corners and then get really smart guys on the edge who can contain and, you know, and get, build those those formation sacks rather than guys that are just to blow, like you said, like the Cameron Wakes that can just blow by tackles. But get, get scheme fits, get guys that are really smart and can lock down the edge and the rest will take care of itself. And I think it's, I think it's a great blueprint. I think it was handled well. Yeah, and um, I think it will add to people like um, Nick Needham's development as well. I know they, you know, everybody, it will, not everybody, but I thought it was a good idea to kick him in a nickel because I really liked what I saw from him at the end of the year. Um, but having Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, um, he's got a new DB coach. Um, and, you know, I, I, we, you know, it's kind of a, up in the air right now is is Xavier Howard going to make it through another year healthy or is he going to make it through 10 games so um you know developing Nick Needham and and having him in your back pocket is going to be huge as long as he can you know see that you know he's going to get some playing time and he can earn playing time and he doesn't get discouraged by them taking um not only picking up probably the most expensive free agent so far and then um spending a first round pick on a nickel corner um, if he can keep his head on his shoulders, you know, he's going to be valuable to this team as a backup. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, I love Nick Niemi watching him on, on Twitter. I watch him a lot on Twitter and he's, he's working every day. And yeah, I mean, you just got to look at like the history of our cornerbacks. Like we've never finished the season with the same group that we started with. So, you know, having that quality depth is, is amazing, is, you know, invaluable. Um, 
And, and I think you I think you said it too with Howard. I think this is a, a prove it year for him that he's obviously got the talent, but can can Xavier and Howard stay healthy to to earn that second highest cornerback contract? So having guys like Noah and and Needham there, you know, definitely gives us that flexibility if he can't. Um, and you know, building for the future. I, but definitely, Nick Needham is the guy that I'm probably rooting for in camp more than anyone. Yeah, me too. I, and I think he, you know, as long as he continues to to buy into the program like he did last year, which brought him from being a UDFA who ran a, like a four six five to a starting cornerback that had a sack and two picks last year. Um, if he continues that progression mentally, um, you know, and he'll just get better physically as as it comes. But I think mentally continuing to buy in and get better is, is important. Um, He's a hard guy to count out too. Like, do you see him in preseason last year? He oh, was, man. I mean, he was a laughing stock. Yeah. And then he was shut down when, when he actually got a chance in the season. I mean, the, the kid has improved so much. I, you know, I definitely think there could be a bright future. I also think that, you know, bringing in all those guys, iron sharpens iron. You know, there's going to be competition um, all along the secondary, all along our D-line, all along our offensive line. And, you know, that competition, the best guys are going to come out. Well, yeah, now th- what I was thinking is the fact that, you know, usually you go up against a team like the Bills, for example. They have Tredavious Wright White. You throw away from him. Um, yeah. Stephon Gilmore with the Patriots, unless your name's Devontae Parker. You stay away from him. Um, so this year – a team's not going to come in and say, I'm throwing at Xavier Howard all game or I'm throwing at Byron Jones all game because you're going to get burnt if you do that. So I'm curious because <clears throat> Byron Jones is coming off two years without an interception. Xavier Howard's coming off, you know, a, a, you know, a year full of injuries. So I'm curious to see, like, how this makes, makes them individually better. Is, is it going to – because, because again, like teams are gonna have to, you know, keep the ball short, and even then, they they both can play man to man. So, I'm curious to see how this um, makes them better. They they could be, they could be a crazy duo. And you saw how, you you could tell us about how um, it looked with Patrick Sertain and Sam Madison together, because um, that was that was early for me. So. Yeah, it was a lot of the same thing where you know they they had that flexibility where they didn't have to send either one of them out with the, the best wide receiver. They could let the, the wide receivers come to them and didn't have to worry, uh, which I think is key. Um, yeah, yeah, you can't you can't target any of them, so that's going to give the linebackers and you know people like Eric Rowe, who can be roamers, you, so many opportunities to make plays because you know, they're going to not only have to look off their one receiver, they're going to have to look off their two receiver. And from there, you know, like, with how fluid this defense is and how much they move around, I think – a lot of guys could benefit. Bobby, we haven't even talked about Bobby McCain, who, you know, really he struggled with tackling last year at free safety, but he's a ball hawk, and he can be moved down in the nickel. Eric Rowe can go from safety to nickel. Um, there's, a, you know, so much flexibility, so many matchup nightmares that that secondary is going to allow. You know, and I, I struggle with Bobby McCain at safety because um, he was a real – I thought he was a really solid nickel corner, and he actually got a contract – extension from being a nickel corner i mean the dude he's he's for being so small the dude could light people up and he was really good in the run game he would always find find a way to you know he would get burnt here and there but he would always find a way to get his hand on the ball or get an interception so i liked him there 
Um, I know he had a bum shoulder and he was playing through that for a while last year, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. And they clearly, they clearly um, bought into him at safety because Brandon Jones is coming off an injury, couldn't perform at the, the combine. So, you know, I think that it might be a year or two before he steps into his role. And, the, you know, Eric Rowe came, went from being one of the worst corners in the league to um, a really, really solid safety. So they really bought into that safety room because I thought that was going to be a high. You know, where they picked Noah, I thought they easily could have went Xavier McKinney or Grant Delpit, Jeremy Chin, um, you know, uh, Kyle Duger. I mean, wait, not Kyle Duger. Um, the dude from Lenore Ryan who the Patriots picked. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I don't remember his name either, but yeah. But either way, yeah, you know what I mean? So they, they easily could have went safety at 30. So they, you know, they, they totally believe in those two at, at safety. And they, they did sp- spend a, a higher resource on Brandon Jones, but I think he's got a year of development under his, under his belt before he's, you know, going to be a starter. So. Yeah, he definitely is, though, that true, um, you know, center fielder, free safety. I see you know, probably replacing Bobby in a year or so. I, I think Bobby's biggest issue on this team is is Flores likes his nickel corner to be bigger. Got like like Rose started off the season before Jones had to go, where Jones went down and moved back to strong safety. But he likes that bigger nickel corner who can cover and can blitz. Bobby has shown some some flashes of blitzing, but he's not the solid tackler that. I feel like Flores wants that nickel. I think that brought the move to free safety. So, but I mean, I, I think Bob, you know, Bobby's not a guy you can count out. He's always improved. He's always, you know, excelled in competition. He's a leader. So he might have struggled last year at free safety a bit, but I wouldn't bet against him this year. You know, having a much bigger grasp on it. No, yeah, I I completely completely agree, and that's what I like about him. He is a leader on the team. Um. I was I was trying to think of something you said real, real just a second ago, but it slipped my mind. Um, but uh, again, it just adds to versatility on the defense because um, the defense doesn't really have any like question marks about it besides maybe the D line. But I mean, the D line shouldn't have any question marks. So offense, you know, you're dealing with, you know, how's the offensive line going to gel? Is Preston Williams going to come back healthy and be that number two receiver? Um, is Albert Wilson going to have a comeback here? Can Jakeem Grant figure it out? And what's going to happen at quarterback? So so the defense should be the bright spot of that team this year for sure, and I'm super excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people are sleeping on on this defense and how good they can be. They they were 30th in the, the league in yards, and I believe 31st in points, and I could see them in top 10 in, in both of them. I'm not saying they're top five elite right now, but I definitely see a huge, huge jump. Um, you know, and like we do have a lot of questions on offense, but we had a lot of a lot of bright spots on offense. And if that if that O line can gel, um, you know, Parker Williams, uh, Wilson was flashing at the end of the year. Gasecki, you know, was written off for dead in the Gase regime, and you know came back and you know they really use him how he's supposed to be used and excelled. Um, very excited about him. So, you know, I think this offense could be dynamic if that O-line comes together and have that defense. You know, our defense didn't give our offense a chance to, like, be conservative and, and you know, really go out there and do what they wanted to do. We were always trailing <laughs> early. So, uh, you know, with that defense not 
folding, I think, you know, our offense could be dynamic. I mean, Parker had career year. Um, I, I Like you said, I hope Williams comes off that ACL, but I, that kid can just – I mean, he's going to be a number one wide receiver, I believe. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and we stole him. You know, I don't – I again, I, I've said it before, but I don't know what his issue was. Like, I know it was like maybe something legally, just like – um, I think Kirk Merritt, uh, another UVFA who could have been a second or third round pick or fourth round pick, he was he was a uh, he's a high talent, but um, it looks like he really turned it around. He had no off. We did not hear about one thing off the field um, issues with Preston Williams. Uh, he kept his nose down. He worked. He he did what the coaching staff asked him to, which ended up leading to him. Um, I I think he got hurt twice in that game. One time he went down and it was like a hand or a wrist, and we thought he was done. And then he came back and then tore his ACL. And, and, you know, doing punt returns is, is especially with somebody like Jakeem Grant um, and on the team and excelling the way he did, you know, it's important to see that he's willing to do that for the team. So um, I, I couldn't be more excited about him. And I've heard a lot of people say that the wide receiver group is, is one of the least talented in the league. And I, I would like to fight about that because <laughs> I, I, I like, I like it. Devontae Parker and Preston Williams on the outside and, and, if you, if you really need to see what Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant are are capable of doing, not necessarily going to do every game, but go watch the Raiders game and the, the Bears game from 2018. Um, and even the Lions game before, you know, I, I know Albert Wilson got hurt during the Lions game, uh, but he was tearing it up that game, and, and he said to Adam Gase after that, um, I was one step away from bringing that to the, you know, the end zone. And, and, you know, obviously the alternative was he hurt his hip. Unfortunately, but um, I was yeah, I think, super excited I think about Albert wide receiver group. I agree with you is just so deep. I mean, even Alan Hearns is probably our fourth guy, and you know, need be if somebody went down, he could line up on the outside in the two spot. Uh, if Albert Wilson can come back, you know, we saw how devastating he was in 2018. If and he started showing a little flashes of that, and you you love his fire. He's such a he's such a good teammate he's such a great guy for miami so um with all the charity work he does so i'm definitely rooting for him um you know if he gets to 90 percent of what he was in 2018 um you know and i think flores has him more more set for the slot position um get that familiarity and i think he could he could excel but i love that you brought up the undrafted free agent merit i think jakeem grant better be looking over his shoulder at this kid he you know four-star recruit out of high school, went to Oregon. Like you said, a lot like Preston got into some trouble with some domestic violence and uh, had to get his life together and go to Arkansas State. But he runs a 4-3. He's six feet tall. Um, just he killed it at everything he did at Arkansas State, which is obviously a lower level of competition. But I, I definitely see a day two, you know, second or third round pick if that kid um, went stayed at Oregon and was healthy the whole time. So. You know, it could be a complete repeat of Preston Williams, and um, he did exactly what Preston did. He not only cleaned it up his first pro year, but Preston went to Colorado State and, you know, really put his head down and focused on football and excelled. Um, it looks like that's what Merritt did last year. So I, I think that kid can come in as our starting punt returner um, and possibly, you know, get on the field in a slot role, four wide receiver sets, and just a lot of talent there. 
Yeah, and, and it's funny that you bring that up because I've talked about Raymond Jones' ability to return punts, and now we have Noah Igmanagny, who's a, a track athlete, and his parents are Olympians. We got possibly Kirk Merritt, um, and so we got three or four guys, and Preston Williams is, is good at returning punts. I mean, so like – I so, never want to see him do that again. I know. I agree. I agree. I agree. But he was good at it. Yeah. But Jakeem Grant – his bread and butter is being a special teams guy that can, you know, change the game. Because, I mean, like the Tennessee game um, where he brought it back when that seven-hour game, he brought a game, he brought that back. Um, the punt return at the end of the half against the Bengals, which we should have won that game. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, um, he, he can change the game with his ability. And if he can just figure it out as a receiver – because he's so fast and, and he, he's good. I mean, um, a couple catches I always go back to when I'm talking about Jakeem Grant is um, the catch on Monday Night Football, uh, I think over Patrick Chung for a touchdown from Jake Cutler. He went up from five foot six to seven foot tall. Yeah, that, went up way catch. high to get that ball. Yeah. And no, then he definitely he, has flashed ability. Yeah. I think his biggest obstacle is staying healthy. You know, last last two years he hasn't finished the season. So will be he's gotta stay on the field. And, and I heard that he has an issue with. I, I think I, I read it on Twitter. I, I don't know if it was like one like Beasley or one of the the Herald or it, maybe it was like Omar or Safed or something. But they said that he has an issue with running the right routes. Sometimes he uh, like overextends his his routes and stuff like that. So I think that um, he he needs to get better at that. But he did post a video on Instagram or maybe Twitter. He did an Instagram and a Twitter, which was pretty yeah, interesting to me that he was he was counted out last year and he was you know, he's a receiver, so I'm I'm, I'm seeing that he's got a little bit of a little bit of um fire in him this year, so I hope that comes out on the field. Yeah, I, I it's just a, just like the DBs, just like a lot of positions. I mean there's gonna be so much competition, you know, like Jakeem Grant has shown he can be a receiver in the NFL. And he's probably walking in as our fifth guy, you know, like from Albert Wilson as three, Hearns at four, Jacqueline Garrett at, at five. There's And Isaiah Ford, who's will probably be in our sixth spot right now, who showed at the end of last year, he's an NFL wide receiver. There's just going to be a lot of competition. And then, you know, I think obviously the the staff thinks so as well. They hadn't bring, they didn't bring in any free agents. They didn't bring in or draft anybody. They did bring in a couple undrafted free agents, but – you know, there's going to be a lot of competition there, and you know that I, I I think that ability to not miss a huge step when you know a couple guys go down to have that that always have that competition is huge, and then to have the guys in your fifth and sixth spot who can step in and be NFL wide receivers is is you know it's, it makes it for a deep uh, yeah, and it really speaks a lot about this team because a couple things stick out to me. Um, not only the fact that Kirk Merritt and Matt Cole, which were two of the higher UDFAs getting, um, you know, calls and offers coming to Miami, but Albert Wilson took a huge pay cut when he could have easily just asked to get caught and gone and signed with the Jets. Cause you know what I mean? Him and him and Gase were close and, and he could have went and got himself a nice little contract, but he said, you know, cut, cut my, you know, contract down, give me a couple incentives. So if, if I do ball out, at least I'm getting paid for my production and i'm going to show you that you know i'm i'm who i was when i came out of kansas city in in that in that year where the he really excelled yeah so that speaks a lot about yeah. this coaching staff and this team 
Absolutely. And that's the nicest thing, I think, for this offseason is to get guys. We don't have to double pay what other teams would pay, which we had to do with Gase and Philbin. You know, like we had to be so much more, you know, money wise inviting than because nobody really wanted to go to that those rosters. No one really wanted to play for the teams in that that atmosphere in the locker room. So, you know, the fact that guys are taking less money to come to Miami. Uh, it's just so refreshing. I mean, Albert Wilson taking less to stay is just so cool. And, you know, we didn't have to overspend on, um, you know, Van Noy. We didn't have to overspend on Paris. And you know, these guys just wanted to come play for for Flores. is just huge, you know. Adam Gase had that with 35-year-old, re- you know, guys that were eligible to retire, you know, wanted to go play for him. But they didn't really have any other options. But to have guys in their prime taking pay cuts and stuff is just refreshing you know we haven't had that probably in your whole your whole time as being a fan yeah i mean i i think i remember um i'm trying to think i, I remember i peyton manning went for a, a, a um like a in i don't, I don't want to say interview or what is i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but he went down to south florida he ended up leaving and saying that he did not felt feel welcomed or that they wanted him at all which yeah. I, you know we at the time we could have you know, killed for Peyton Manning. Um, I remember Mike Wallace, you know, him getting signed or, you know, getting overpaid. So, you know, like s- s- small things like that. But this is the first time I've, I've really like, you know, been in my prime of understanding football and, um, and really seen a vision because before it was just like band-aids, you know, Adam Gase's thing is band-aids, you know, with uh, Josh sitting playing one game and tearing his pack and stuff like that. So, and, you know, all the mess with Lawrence Timmons and Ray Maluga, like we, you were saying earlier. So, um, you know, this is the first time that there's a long-term, like, vision. And if they can keep these guys for the, let's just say, like, Shaq Lawson and Eric Flowers, if they play well for three years, but we also have somebody behind them developing, we're going to have, we're going to be able to see sustained, um, you know, Win- winning in Miami because they're going to do it the correct way instead of, you know, having a 35-year-old guy go down and then now you're struggling for um, somebody to play left guard or whatever it is, you know. So that's that's the coolest part about this whole situation. Agree. And, and they're so young that these guys, you know, the agents we went after this year, um, and I brought it up on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, that the only person on this roster above 30 is Ryan Fitzpatrick. But, like, what that also does for us is, you know, Flowers, Lawson, um, this won't be their last contract. So maybe they play great in Miami for four years. We let them go to the highest bidder. And now we're we're riddled with um, those comp picks, you know. And those comp picks were something that New England relied on, you know, in Flores' whole time there. They always had – I mean, every year they're they're the highest with comp picks. So these, getting these guys at 25 on not their last contracts – being able to either keep them long term or let them go and sign a big contract elsewhere, still getting compensation, you know, it's just it's going to be huge for building the team long term. Yeah, and um, so after all that, my final question is: Do you have a do you have a record prediction for this year, or what are your what are your hopes for this year? Yeah, I do. I a little bit optimistic. I have it. I'm in my office right now, and I have my my season prediction hanging on the wall. I have them at ten and six. Um, I, I could see with that. I, I realistically, I believe they'll probably either an eight and eight uh, 
team to a 10 and six with if things go well. Um, I, I see that seventh wild card spot that just got brought in this this season as a real possibility. Um, yeah, I'm very I'm very hopeful through a, a good year, not a great year, but you know that sign that we're really going in the right direction. But I could easily see I could see 10 and six and, and making that that Buffalo game at the end of the year being meaningful. Yeah, I, I, I pray for that because that would be cool for us. But um, I had them at 9-7, and seven, but I have multiple toss-up games. Uh, the Broncos is a toss-up game for me. It could go either way, but being that it's at in in Denver, um, that gives them the, a little bit of the edge. And then the same thing with the Cardinals game. Um, I think that's a toss-up, but being in Arizona, that could be, be a tough game. So... Like you said, I, I have them at nine and seven, but I, I have them give or take two games, probably. You know what I mean? Like, and they could do something crazy, and with this weird season, you know, catch a team off guard. But, um, I see them again, like you said, pushing for that seventh wild card spot, which would be awesome. And everyone says we have a really hard schedule, which some of the, you know, like based on last year, some of it's pretty hard. But I mean, if you really look at it, like the the quarterbacks we're playing. You know, like, because that's really the only thing that's going to be that we can really count on right now looking at it. It's just way too early to see that. Like, the games you brought up, Denver and Arizona, those teams could be 5 and 11, or those teams could be 12 and 4. Like, they, there's so much unknown with all the acquisitions they've made. Same thing in Vegas. You know, there's a lot of teams like that. You know, outside of Mahomes and Wilson, um, there's not a quarterback on the on this schedule that you're you're afraid to play there's a lot of free like jared stidham sam darnold josh allen uh denver and drew lock you know there's david carr in, in Vegas or Derek carr in vegas there's just guys that you know they're not jared goff in los angeles and they lost all they lost and all that offensive line. There's, there's not guys that are like you're confident that are just going to come out and blow our doors off and you know i think that's that's what separates it from being competitive and having that chance in the fourth quarter to that one play where, you know, if they're not getting great quarterback play, we could easily exploit the schedule. Exactly. And, and that's what, that's what the cool thing is. Cause there's not, besides maybe Kansas city. Um, I don't see a game on the schedule where I'm just like, I mean, obviously the 49ers are coming off a Super Bowl run as, as well, but, um, you know, I, I just don't see any games where I, I'm going to that game saying, oh, you know, that's going to be really, really, really tough for them to win. Um, I know that Josh Allen, with his running back skills and his overthrowing ability, really gives some issues. But um, I think they will pro- they could probably easily split with the Bills and, you know, sweep the Patriots and sweep the Jets, which would be crazy because that's, you know, 5-1 in the, in the division. So. Yeah, it'd be huge. Yeah. It will it'll be, be important to see how they start the season, you know, because – um, you know, the first three games could be three wins and it could be two two losses. So um, it's important to see how they, they come out of the gates for sure. Yeah, that, you know, we come out of that New England game with a victory at New England against Jared Stidham's first start. That would be huge. It sets the table. You know, we have the Bills at home, though, in the 100. And then, you know, not a, a very winnable game at Jacksonville. Uh, the next two games are a little tougher, but Seattle looks daunting. But again, it's that um, where I probably would chalk it up with the Kansas City game is probably not a, a chance to win. But they're huge. That's a long flight from Seattle to Miami. One o'clock game against the time zone, and it's you get the hundred degree heat. 
that most teams can never prepare for. So, yeah, like you said, I, the Kansas City game is you don't have a, a lot of optimism right now. But again, you ne- you know, like the strength of schedule in April never means anything because with with what teams did in off season, you never know how that's going to translate. And then with injuries, you never know who's going to truly be that if they can stay that dominant team they were last year. Yeah, and a late a late buy in the season is awesome. Um, so I think a lot of it works in their favor. They they got some late home games. I think last year they had one home game in the last six games or something crazy like that. So um, and they still found a way to win five out of the last nine. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm really really excited about this season um, and then the future as well, like you said. Um, but I just want to get into one thing before you know we get off here. Uh, this your your on your Twitter you do um, dad joke of the day, which I think is awesome. I look forward to it. Um, yeah. But you got some cool people, like you got Ricky Williams to do it and Mike Gusecki. Um Just a couple of people off the top of my mind that I I thought of. So how did that all start? Um, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, it was. I when I so my it started. Uh, I had a baby last November, my first child. And Congrats. my coworkers bought me a dad joke of the day calendar for for the new year. Um, so, you know, when January hit, I, I said, we're going to have fun with this. I have a really great work environment. So in the morning, every day, I would read the joke in front of my staff and we'd have a lot of fun with it. So then after like a month of that, I just thought, you know, like this might be fun to like put on Twitter or something. You know, I honestly thought I'd lose more followers from it than I gained. <laughs> Uh, so I started doing that and people liked it. And then, uh, somehow I was golfing and somebody showed me that on that app cameo where you can get, you know, sports stars and actors to, to do a personalized message for you. Um, so that's when I, I, on cameo got Mike Gusecki to do that just to, you know, I'm a huge fan and thought it'd be fun. Um, and then I did a couple of those. Ricky Williams was the second one. And then. You know, recently, um, I was ta- talking to Richmond Webb on Twitter, and he, he agreed to just do it. Um, and then uh, DolphinsTalk.com got on board with it, and he just recently uh, – they recently asked O.J. McDuffie to do it for me. So he just did one. Um, today we had – I back on the cameo, I, had, I saw Joy Taylor, Jason Taylor's sister, and the co-host of The Herd, uh, who I'm just a huge fan of. So – I had heard do today's and it's just fun. You know, I just, there's so much, there's so much, uh, uh, what's the best way to say, it? you know, there's just so much negativity on Twitter and it's turned out really cool. And what's, you know, what's cooler is it's really helped me like connect to a lot of dolphins fans all over. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, <laughs> I honestly it's- thought I would go from like, 500 followers to like 400 because i started doing this dad joke so you know like a couple months later it's we're probably added a thousand followers and people like it so it's cool i had no expectations going in but it's it's just a fun thing to do yeah no it's really cool I, i i love it um and um it definitely you're right i mean it it's like a bright spot on my twitter so that's for sure and uh, I'll definitely have to shoot you a follow on TikTok as well. I don't, you know, do too much on TikTok, but um, I know you do record some of them. But, you know, so I just wanted to, you know, finish up with, with that because that isn't, you know, that's an important part of what you do on Twitter um, as well as your mustache. you got a top five Twitter mustache. I'm not going to lie. That's a nice mustache. 
Yeah, that's new too. I've been trying since I since I had my kid. I was I was like, you know, I've always wanted to grow out a cool mustache. So we're we're experimenting with that and see where that goes as well. It was easier before this the COVID. I could go to the barber shop and really top it off. So I've had to learn how to how to manicure it myself recently. But hopefully, barber shops will open and we'll we'll take the mustache to the next level. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually um, growing out a little. Victory beard and victory uh, mustache as well for this, um, for this quarantine. And um, I have a, I have a. In November, my daughter will be four, so, um, you know, so she, you know, she likes to mess around with my beard. She thinks it's funny. So, um, <laughs> that's great. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you ever, if you ever in a pinch for somebody to do your dad joke of the day, let me know. I'll do it for you for sure. But um, everybody that's listening to this, make sure you um, go on Twitter right now. Follow Brian. Um, it's at Brian Bernsey, B-R-I-A-N-B-Y-R-N-E-S-I-E. Um, it, you know, he's probably my favorite, one top five favorite follow on Twitter. Um, the dad joke is, is a, will be a highlight of your day, so you make sure you go, go follow him. And, uh, Brian, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Before yeah, definitely. Great talk. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, definitely just go ahead and record that dad joke. We'll put it up. Okay, awesome. I will. Thank you. I mean, have a good day. You too. And there you have it. We got an awesome interview with Brian Byrne. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter. You won't regret it. He he's an awesome follower. Um, follow on Twitter. He has um had Mike Gusecki and Ricky Williams do his dad joke of the day. Um, again, it just brings up more of a bright spot, you know, a funny element to Twitter, which isn't always that way. Um, follow me on Twitter, all in all fins, whatever you're listening to, to this on, make sure you uh, subscribe. So, you know, when we post, I'm getting pretty close to 500 followers. And like I said, when I get 500 followers, I'm going to do a giveaway. So make sure you let me know if you're listening to this podcast. Hope everybody's staying safe. Fins up.